0: All righty. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to our Building Better SaaS podcast. My name is David Abramson. I'm the Chief Technology Officer here at Curve. Um, Curve A provides embedded analytics for SaaS applications. And today on the podcast, uh, we're going to be chatting about AI and some of the new developments and technologies that are now sort of becoming much more prevalent in the marketplace. And I'm very pleased to welcome uh, two guests on the podcast today, uh, Farzad and Dara. And I'm going to go ahead and let Farzad and Dara introduce themselves. So let's start with uh, you, Farzad. Let's uh, hear a little bit about your background.
1: Awesome. David, thank you so much for uh, inviting me to this podcast. I'm Farzad the Ref, founder and head of sales and delivery for Farlinium. Uh We are a consulting and services company focusing on experience analytics. So helping companies become, uh, uh, take advantage of uh, data that they have from their customers to uh, essentially invite them to the front seat as they think about how they want to evolve their business with a customer center 1st mindset. So really excited to be talking about AI and some of the um, impacts that we see in amongst our customers and potentially down the road.
0: Fantastic. And uh, let me pass it over to Dara. Let's hear a little bit about your background as well.
1: Sounds good. Hey,
2: I'm Dara Karabi. Uh, I work currently at a company called ReArc, where I'm the product lead for data and data strategy. Uh, we do a number of things around helping customers build out data platforms and get their data on marketplaces and clean their data. I've had the opportunity to uh, do a lot of things in that vein, including uh, sort of serving as a data analyst and a managing consultant at uh, Farlinium Fazlet's company in the past, and at this point, you know, I'm on my product journey, and I've had the opportunity to you know, advise a couple of companies around uh, data and AI and some of those topics. So it's been a great ride so far, and I'm excited to talk
0: today. Fantastic. All right. So I'm very pleased that you guys could join me today on the podcast. And um, I think the topic of AI has certainly been very much kind of at the forefront, at least for what we're seeing in the market in our embedded analytics space, but obviously anything related to, you know, software and data and and those types of use cases. So uh, in terms of the the flow of the discussion, the way I'd kind of like to break it down uh, is into sort of four areas. So first I wanna just talk a little bit about, you know, the current use cases and some of the ways that you're seeing AI concepts being leveraged by your projects or your software applications today. Um, and then we can kind of transition into um, how some of the more recent developments, things like, you know, chat, GBT, BARD, or some of the other uh, more like conversational AI services might be impacting everything from, you know, your applications to your development to whatever, you know, your business users are maybe looking for um, as well. Um, and then we can talk a little bit about sort of, um, I think one of the, one of the issues or or what are the issues potentially uh, in terms of maybe ethical or misuse concerns with AI. And then we can kind of wrap things up talking a little bit more about where the future might be headed. Um, So with that sort of agenda in mind, maybe I'll kick things off um, and talk a little bit about the current use cases that I see or that we see here at Curve when it comes to AI and embedded analytics. And so the way I've always sort of um, seen it being leveraged historically has been kind of in, I would say, three areas in terms of the embedded analytics. So the first I would say is more more like the natural language processing or natural language query use case. Um, so you know, oftentimes you'll find product capabilities that allow obviously business users to type in you know natural language search, or they can use their own you know own search terms to find. And, and retrieve results. That's been obviously a very common use case for AI um, in sort of the business analytics and business intelligence world. Um, and then the other two are probably a little bit more along the lines of the machine learning models or maybe predictive models. So there's the sort of the forecasting style of AI or maybe the predictive analytics style of AI where you're, you're taking data and you're extrapolating information based on some trained models or similar machine learning algorithms. And then probably the other area which I've seen is is more along the lines of the the recommendation style or recommendation engine style of AI and machine learning where uh, you can use different tools to provide recommended outcomes or recommended uh, presentations, charts, visuals, and those types of things. So that's kind of what I've seen in terms of the existing use cases in, in the AI space. But um maybe let's start with you, Farzad. What what types of things are you seeing or have you seen in terms of the current use cases for AI?
1: Yeah, David, I think very similar to what you had described, first and foremost, you know, the, the goal is accelerate um you know faster speed to value, faster speed to insight. So that's kind of been the business driver or motivation of looking at these types of technologies. And also the other motivation is tell me something I don't know, right? Or, or associate a pattern that maybe I would not pick up if I look at more traditional, just graph visualizations of data points, etc. So those are typically the, the motivation. And as um, <clears throat> I look at like how technologies have adopted that, Like you mentioned, you know, in a search style capability, again, let me find things faster, show associations of search of things that maybe I hadn't thought about, right? Uh, The other one is help me drive analytics from content that may not necessarily just be structured. So in the same vein of natural language processing and understanding, I might have, you know, conversations, feedbacks that don't have necessarily a structure to it for me to look at at scale. So help me kind of understand that and accelerate that. And then also from my recommendations, a lot of the the side that I sit on is essentially using reporting and visualizations to support uh, decisions, business decisions. So in that vein, a lot of like the current or the past AI was recommend me views of the data. Again, accelerate the time it takes for me to look at pattern, uh, potentially alert to me or show me a a, a pattern or an insight that is statistically significant or some sort of algorithm applied to it. And those have been essentially the traditional use cases that I've seen uh, for AI uh, ahead of generative uh, essentially. Um, AI that we're going to talk about shortly. Sure.
0: So um, maybe just to expand on that a little bit, and, and I'll let maybe Dara answer this one, but as you've seen those types of use cases implemented, is it something that in your view was more driven from like the customer requests? So they were asking for these things, or you found that the the users or the customers really wanted to have these capabilities, or do you feel like You know, as a product person, these were things that you thought would be useful. And so you wanted to incorporate or or try to incorporate some of this logic into the application experiences that you're providing um, to the end end customers. And maybe let's let Dara chime in on that as a product guy. For sure. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a really
2: interesting question, actually, because I think that for as long as we've had sort of data science and machine learning, uh, we have like you know a class of uh, tools and capabilities that can solve very very specific problems, like predicting a time series next year if it has certain periodic characteristics, or uh, you know uh, recommending uh, a product that someone might buy if they bought these mm-hmm. other three previous products. Those types of things are very specific, and so the use cases for them tend to be. Sort of limited to certain things. So one of the challenges that a product person has is, you know, you'll have people who are excited about AI sort of being like, okay, how are we using AI? How are we implementing it? Can we use it to do this? Can we use it to do that? And you have your customers who know what they uh, know what their problem is but does, don't necessarily know what the solution space might be. and you have to figure out, okay, what is the correct judicious use of AI in a way that actually solves the customer's problem and isn't just AI for the sake of AI or for the sake of like, you know, marketing, which, you know, is valuable in and of itself, but doesn't really elevate the product. So um, I'll give you sort of uh, a few examples, if that's all right. Um, One of the things that we've heard consulting with customers is, uh, we've seen a lot of interest around like, you know, the large language models and the conversational AI and people are using it. And this is causing data privacy issues within large enterprises with, you know, data security requirements. That's a huge customer need. They need a way to access these large language models because they're doing it already. We have that data, but without, uh, sort of breaking, uh, their, their organization's data privacy, uh, rules and compliance requirements. And so, that's a situation where you know the, the the product market fit is already there. You just have to figure out how to implement that in a way that's copacetic for everyone involved. An example of sort of the alternate is um, we've seen a lot of interest around uh, making sense of uh, basically very large quantitative data sets uh, with uh, with machine learning algorithms. And the issue with that is usually machine learning algorithms can answer certain questions, like given these points, can I cluster them into like N clusters? That's K-means, for example. Uh, But you don't know how to use them judiciously. And so a lot of the time uh, we've had uh, organizations try to basically be like, can we throw ML at like a general sort of analytics problem? And they start to spin their wheels because uh, those, those sort of AI and machine learning techniques are tied to specific use cases. One of the things that's extremely exciting that we've seen in the last few years, and especially now with large language models and conversational AI, is we're finally at a place where there is potential to have sort of an, uh, an AI analyst that can tell you what the correct uh, algorithm, if there is one, is to use to analyze a specific set of quantitative data. Whereas before you'd get into a lot of like traditional data profiling and automation and a bunch of results that don't really mean anything unless you're already a data scientist. Uh, so there's, I think, a huge opportunity for democratization now, uh, which is which is exciting because it sort of changes the game for, from before.
0: And you actually, that last point that you sort of brought up about using the AI to sort of help determine or to help at least guide what algorithms or tools you end up using is one of these interesting use cases i'd say that's probably more recent given the developments in these generative or conversational ai platforms and and that's actually a great sort of jump into kind of the next topic area that i wanted to to touch on and that is sort of you know with sort of the new i, I guess mind share that's been really developed around these um, you know, new conversational generative AI services. So, you know, I, it seems like I can't go anywhere without somebody bringing up the use of something like a ChatGPT or um, the BARD service or some of the other services. I mean, AWS obviously has a number of services in the generative AI space as well. Um, and so I think these are these are just so much top of mind. In fact, in preparation for this podcast, I went to ChatGPT and, and asked to give me a list of talking points for um, like an AI conversation. And, you know, it gives me a a really nice result of, you know, a bulleted list of, you know, key talking points that you might want to bring up. I've heard of people using these tools to like generate slide decks for them. I mean, there's so many of these use cases that, you know, if I'm a business user or a power user, or even a developer, it seems like, um, I have opportunities now to sort of leverage AI um, to augment my job or to augment my skill set, um, and so it's interesting. You know, I'd be curious to you know to to hear about maybe some of the ways that you've seen, or maybe you're hearing people asking for or leveraging these types of newer technologies. And maybe since Dara, you just brought that up, uh, maybe you can dive into that topic in a little bit more detail and, and what you're seeing with the some of these newer developments in in the generative AI space. Sure. Yeah. I
2: think it's a really interesting space we're in. I've likened it to like 2008, 2009, when the iPhone app store first came out, where society is given this new capability where there's now a device in everyone's pockets and it's got an accelerometer and a camera and it's got all this stuff. And people are like, all right, what can we do with it? So you had, you know, the app with like the beer and you drink the beer because nobody has ever had a device with a screen and an accelerometer that everyone has. You know, there's all this new, there's all this playfulness as we try to understand the capabilities of this new technology. And the same is true for generative AI. And, you know, the larger players are trying to figure out, all right, where do we fit in? So like, you know, like you mentioned, Google has BARD and they're trying to fit that in. Uh, Microsoft has got uh, their deal with OpenAI and they've tried to create services and they're implementing it into their desktop applications as well, which is really fascinating. So Word can like write a first draft for you. And Google Docs has done that with Bard too. Uh, there's now like a like a help me write option. Uh, we see that in Notion as well. So everyone who has a space for writing, now a large language model can help you with your first draft. So that's sort of the first wave we're seeing. But I mean, if you think about the phones analogy, we didn't really, you know, get Instagram and Twitter and like that new sort of paradigm until a few years after. It's gonna be a little frothy as we sort of kick the tires and explore the boundaries of the space and figure out what's really going to take hold in society. Uh, I think there's also, you know, this is new technology. There are a lot of teething issues. Uh, I'm kind of excited to see because in general, you know, everyone's still thinking about the model of like, let's ask chat GPT a question. Uh, And I think that that's really good. I'm really excited about what happens when you embed uh, an agent like that. You know, there's a, uh, there's a library called Langchain now that lets you essentially, uh, give a large language model, something like a chat GPT, uh, a, uh, a set of instructions and have that, you know, perform that, you know, you could have it summarize all of your contracts over your last 10 years. And then you have, you know, a library of summaries. Uh, So there's a lot of exciting new use cases there. There's also a lot of limitations. Uh, There's uh, accuracy issues. I can tell you, for example, I recently had a a natural uh, language processing task that our team was working with uh, where, you know, a an organization would publish a report and they might say one day there were 23 incidences of this activity. And then the other day they'll say there were no incidences of this activity, or they would say there's two incidences of this activity and three incidences of a related activity. And there's a lot of variability in how we might express that in natural language. And uh, we had an originally, we tried regular expressions, we tried uh, SPACY, which is a traditional natural language processing library. And then we decided to try uh, GPT-4 through a service called Marvin that's produced by the Prefect AI people, or sorry, Prefect uh, data orchestration people. And uh, on the one hand, our data engineer got that figured out in uh, two days, what it took him like three weeks to try and do with traditional NLP, which is great. On the other hand, it worked really great, like 85, 90% of the time it completely fell over the other 15% of the time and we had no way of sort of validating or, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't throw an exception. You know, it's not like traditional software. We have to find new ways of like building quality uh, systems around these services if we want to use them in an automated way like that.
0: Yeah. So before we talk about maybe expand on some of the limitations and, and potential challenges, like you're just describing where, you don't necessarily know if what the AI is going to give you is, is it even going to be meaningful or maybe it's going to even be wrong. Um, I'd, I'd like to understand maybe from Farzad what you're seeing. So obviously you guys are dealing with, you know, specific kind of client requirements and ways of assisting your clients make better sense out of their data. Um, has kind of the new developments in AI sort of brought that up more? Are they asking for these types of things more from what you're seeing, or is this, you know, it's not really entering your um, list of requirements and demands yet?
1: It's the fastest adopted, I think, technology in the history of technologies, right? Uh, So absolutely, I think there's a lot of conversations around it. I I, I like the analogy Dara used uh, about the iPhone and the App Store. I do agree with that, I think that, for the first time ever via chat GPT, we're actually seeing AI be useful. In the past, we saw a lot of use cases around AI. But like, I, I just feel like <clears throat> with this interface, it makes it very easy, accessible. Anyone can use it, and you can see instant value from it. Now, it brings up a lot of questions, right? Can we trust it? Is it secure? What? are the limitations to it, et cetera. But yeah, first and foremost, from my perspective, you know, we, I, I, I'm using it. I wanna learn more about it. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've asked my team to take a look at it. Uh, I think that it's in a current state right now where historically anything that you wanna do to form, let's say your first draft, you would do the research. You would probably go to a search bar, look for things, and, 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 you know, put together thoughts, I think chat GPT or technologies like it has accelerated that, right? So you can uh, uh, have not just a one-way, but a two-way discussion to get to that first draft. However, the validity of that draft and, and how you can evolve it to a final state requires subject matter expertise. So I think that, you know, to, like for example, you mentioned you kind of came up with the draft of potentially talking points that you can use in this podcast, but you know the domain, right? And 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 you know, you could probably come up with the list, but you use Chat GPT to accelerate that. When you have the list, you can edit it because you have that subject matter expertise. So I think we're in a place right now where um, it's very useful if you know kind of what you're doing, right? And, and and that's the stage that it's in. From a company perspective and customer base, everyone is curious about it, right? everyone is not debating the usefulness of it it's more of how can this fit within let's say my ecosystem from a security and governance perspective and then can i you know trust like like what the information that it's giving me i think are like the two areas and then there's a whole third area around well you know is it plagiarism can i use it right so there's going to be two different camps on it but i do think that this is a very unique point in time and we're very lucky to be part of this transformation and and you know it's going to take probably the next four or five years of people using it in use cases and advancing it for us to kind of move away from you know that virtual drinking or or augmented drinking of the beer versus actually having apps that are useful and ingrained in our everyday lives
0: yeah and i think a lot of good points there about not just the the eat, right? So I think we can all agree that the fact that it's it's basically been made so much easier to take advantage and leverage is is one of the huge, uh, I'm not necessarily going to say selling points, but it's definitely one of the huge reasons why the adoption has increased so much. You know, obviously, Dar, you mentioned the would have taken three or so weeks to do it in sort of the older model versus getting it done you know in a significantly faster way using some of the more generative ai driven technologies and then obviously farzad you know you and i both sort of mentioned this idea that well what if the what comes back from the ai isn't useful you know you have to be that sort of additional subject matter expert to even understand whether or not what you're getting back could be of value um, to the use case or to the application so I think that's a good transition into the the kind of next topic around the potential concerns these could be ethical concerns you know I've heard a lot about um with AI there's a lot of concern around things like well data privacy obviously is is a big one um if you're using some of these public generative AI tools you know sending your data to these services how are they actually using that data um is there you know, and then in terms of things like transparency, is there enough sort of visibility into actually what's happening when an AI model is producing some type of outcome? Um, and then I think the other one that comes up a lot in ethical discussions are things like biases, right? So is, the, is there an inherent bias in some of the ways that these models or the AI uh, generative outcomes are, are being produced? Um, so I'm wondering if um, either of you could maybe talk a little bit about Maybe let's start with sort of the data uh, the data privacy concerns a little bit. Um, I know I've heard from some of my customers and some of the, the folks that we talk to on a regular basis that they don't yet want to adopt any of this because they're very worried about their data going someplace where they, they completely lose control. Um, so I'm, I'm just wondering if that's something that you're seeing as well, or if you think because it, there's so many benefits, it will ultimately outweigh the, alt, you know, the overall data privacy concerns that might exist today?
1: I, from my perspective, I think with any um, sort of transformation or evolution, we're going to see kind of two sides. If we look back at, you know, internet boom and, and the concept of e-commerce, some people were all about it. They were early adopters. They, they knew this is going to be the future, so they wanted to embrace it and build business models that can support this new use case and then there were skeptics that said you know there will never be a day for example that i'm going to go and buy clothes or shoes online right so they kind of took this stance of let's wait if this is going to happen i kind of see it similar now this is something that's going to be ingrained in society i just it 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 brings so much value from a productivity perspective it, it helps us accelerate. So I think there's enough motivations for it to drive adoption, and and really, I, I think that from a, a adoption and use case on this company side, it's basically going to be two sides. Am I going to be the early adopter to try to really be part of the process to figure this out, or am I going to be the skeptic, right? And 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 want to stay away from it. And again, you know, I kind of relate that to e-commerce and what we saw with the internet. Um, that said there is a lot of legitimate concerns, right? There is there is some level of uncertainty. And I think that was one of the main goals of OpenAI, putting this out, right? Versus kind of keeping it in the lab to start to have and bring forward those conversations. And I'm glad that they're occurring. I think from a business application perspective, again, it's all about security. The concept of you wanting to provide your data to somewhere outside of the realm that you have control over, that's gonna be something that that people are always going to probably uh, have roadblocks. And I think that that's an area that again, we're gonna see a lot of um, evolution around, well, how do we make this secure? How do we make the training of these models like essentially secure so that it's not being shared? And then the other piece of it is from adoption and governance from a business application, can we trust it? When is it trustful, right? and then the third part of it is well then in this new world how do our roles and responsibilities evolve right and i think that will then have a big shift uh or or potentially a big impact into what does the future workforce look like because the three of us we are who we are because of the experiences we were given to actually learn and try some things that maybe in the future workforce they may not have that chance because it's automated right and technology is handling that so again, I, 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 it's a fascinating topic for me, something that, that you know, I'm going to kind of always stay curious and, and want to learn more. And I do think that it's one of those, again, once in a lifetime revolutions that that we have an opportunity to shape as it comes into fruition in the years to come.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree. I think um, I'm definitely of the mindset of the early adopter, right? I like to be Sort of introducing or leveraging technologies to see how they evolve, and so I'm and you know I know Dari already sort of mentioned this idea that um, when you were using the generative AI on a specific project, it was only giving you sort of a 80 percent or I forget what percentage you mentioned, but um, sort of the the um, the validity of the responses. But in terms of other issues that you've run into, or is there anything else that sort of comes to the forefront of potential problems that you saw or that you're seeing today
2: uh i mean yeah there's a lot there is uh and not to say that this technology isn't ground-shattering i agree with everything had said i agree that you know there was a time when people didn't want to put payments through the internet and uh didn't see that you know the world was going to change and i think that we're sort of there now again uh that said there's a lot of things we've got to figure out uh there's of course the data privacy question, which uh, you know right now is similar to the online payments question, where like you know you have certain resources for training models and running inference that have to basically run a, either in the cloud or in the possession of people who have a lot of computational power, and that's going to change eventually. There's no reason why uh, you know tensor processors need to be as expensive as they are if the demand increases, you know, multifold. You know, you you see that right now where people are running large language models on Apple Silicon because it's been designed to, you know, run uh, machine learning models more effectively. Uh, you know, in five years, maybe this will be more democratic than it was before. But right now, you kind of need, uh, you know, uh, a, a cluster of like a couple hundred uh really really beefy uh, sort of uh, graphics processors to be able to train or uh, run inference on some of these big models which basically means that you have to trust your somebody else if you're like a large enterprise if you don't want to make that sort of outlay I think Amazon's got a really cool idea there uh, with they have a they call it foundation models where they're basically like we know how to do enterprise security trust us and uh, we'll sort of create a marketplace, where people can run the models on our hardware, we handle the security, and then customers can like sort of buy into that. It's sort of a, you know, of course Amazon would create a marketplace. That's sort of what they do. Uh, So that I thought was very cool. There are other issues. There's the hallucination issue. Uh, I think that's sort of a non-trivial problem because, uh, you know, human beings have hallucination issues as well. Uh, And in general, the way these models are created and trained really doesn't take the truth into account uh, because, you know, they're trying to complete sentences. Uh, they're, not, uh, they're not trying to tell if those sentences are true or not. I think at some level of scale, you'll be able to, similar to how, you know, you train things to follow instructions, you'll train things to create a truthful world model. So I think we'll get there. It's just going to take some time and significant effort. Uh, the other thing we've got to consider is learning. Right now, the way we train things is by sort of training them on large corpuses of data. They don't learn the same way humans learn where, you know, uh, OpenAI's uh, chat GPT has been trained through mid-2021. So I can't tell it like, hey, uh," the canonical example on the internet is, hey, the movie Avatar 2 came out and uh, it won't like internalize that new information. You have to sort of do a long training run to overwrite that. Whereas with a human being, you can tell them that and they'll update their internal representation of what's going on with just one piece of input. So that's something that we've got to learn as well. Another thing, you mentioned bias earlier, David, uh, and uh, there's sort of a raging debate right now around uh, how do we prevent uh, for example, code generation AI from outputting GPL licensed code, or how do we prevent the uh, the model from like saying racial slurs, that sort of thing? And one branch is, all right, we'll create a sanitizer model. Uh, all of the input data for the model will be sanitized so that there's no sort of bad stuff. But we've seen that that actually reduces the performance of models on certain benchmarks. Uh, because they don't get as much training data or as wide a variety of training data. The other camp is like, well, give it the full input, just teach it to not say bad things. Uh, and that's probably going to be better in the long run. But in the short run, we don't really have a way to teach models. Like there is, you know, Instruct GPT, it's called reinforcement learning with human feedback but it's not perfect and you can still you know, trick these models into breaking out of whatever sort of reinforcement learning you give it, which isn't necessarily great because it doesn't work perfectly. But uh, again, that's another problem we have to solve. And sort of going back to what had said, like I think this is going to, I don't think these are going to be like uh, brick walls. I think these are problems we have to solve over the next few years. And I think that then, you know, AI is going to progressively change the world, but I think that there are serious things that need a lot of work. They're not sort of trivial. That's my
0: take. I I think those are all really great points. And certainly thinking about not, not just how these models are being created, but how they're ultimately being used when they were created. These are all obviously things that need to be taken into account. Um, when sort of le- obviously leveraging any of this technology um, in the future. And, you know, it kind of brings me to sort of the, the end or the wrap of the discussion, which is, you know, where do you guys see this sort of headed next? Um, you know, I think at a high level, obviously we all kind of agree that there's a ton of, of utility and taking advantage of uh, all of the, the, the various AI services and tools that are available to us today um, and you know we've already talked about some of the the use cases and how they're being used um, but sort of what do you what do you see as kind of the the next wave um and 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 where kind of the next you know if you could sort of put on your predictive hat if you will where do you where do you sort of see it going well like what, what would be the next sort of big project where you could sort of see these being this being used effectively uh, in terms of you know what you're doing with either your customers or your products um, today.
1: I, I believe that in our lifetime, right? So, like these technologies are going to evolve pretty rapidly. It's not going to take another fifty or hundred years, right? They're going to evolve exponentially and and rapidly. I believe that we're at a place right now where we cannot keep up with the velocity of information between our emails, our phones, our, our you know, uh, workspaces, socially and at work. So a personal assistant like is required, not a human, but something that can accelerate, can summarize, can really help us become more productive. I, I definitely see that happening very soon. I think that we're going to start to see the embedding of of this technology in all facets of, of the things that we use and work with. And then also, I do believe that this will start to question in a productive way to evolve even user interfaces that we work with, right? So I do see a world that we're starting to move into like less clicking, less typing, but more looking at at distilled and summarized summarize information to act and react to, um and and you know all of that is something that I think is going to happen. Again, there will be a lot of debates and and productive ones around sort of like you know the ethics around it, the security and 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 how to adopt it. As a father to uh, kids, right? Three I have three boys. I always question like you know, what they're learning, the traditional, what I learned, how is that gonna evolve, right? What are the things that that I need to make sure I equip them or enable them? Because I'm not sure yet if, you know, our, our education has caught up to all of this. So all of those are things that, that are running in my head is, as I look at the next sort of like, you know, next uh, 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 next generation, right, with my kids, how do they fit into this? As I look at our current technology, how do we embrace it, and and just staying on top of it and and making sure that we're keeping up with it is kind of the approach that I'm going to take.
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of changes. I think in the short term, AI is going to you know enable people. Uh, you know, uh, social media strategists can write more uh posts more quickly and programmers can write more code more quickly uh and uh you know uh consultants can generate insights and slide decks more quickly eventually i think there's going to be yeah like fast set said embedding automation things are going to change a lot i think that there are going to be new categories of jobs that are being created right now like we had ml ops llm ops is going to be a little different uh People are going to want to train their own models, uh, fine-tune models. Uh, that's going to be one thing. And then, you know, people talk about prompt engineering. I don't know if that's what it is, but like Fajl said, like the UIs that this is going to take is going to require, you know, a sort of new sort of mindset. And then the people who are AI natives are going to, you know, again, redefine what it means because, you know, when you grow up with the technology, your your ideas and your idioms are going to be different. So. Yeah, it's it's very hard to predict the future, but I think I think this is something that is absolutely transformative.
0: Yeah, and I think at least from my experience, I mean, I'm already seeing the how much it's transforming or at least helping to augment some of the sort of even daily tasks that, you know, both myself and folks on my team are are doing, you know, whether it's using AI to help them actually even write code, right? That's something that, you know, probably even a year ago is kind of unheard of, but now, you know, no big deal to sort of assign a task like writing a code snippet or maybe even just validating code um, to be able to generate, you know, through an AI service, um, some enhancement or improvement to a product. So there's, it seems like there's all kinds of opportunities Uh, but as we've sort of discussed, yeah, we always, we, we do have to sort of be mindful that, um, you know, there, there, there are potential issues or potential concerns. And so, you know, probably take everything with a little bit of grain of salt, but we, we all definitely see the value in continuing to expand our use of AI tools and services, um, at least, you know, in our day-to-day operational tasks and things like that. So, um, I think, you know, in general, I'm very sort of hopeful that um, it'll continue to evolve and we'll get, you know, more and more capabilities coming coming down the pipe with, you know, the various services. But, you know, um, I think it's it's only time will tell to see, you know, how quickly it's all adopted into, you know, some of the, the more mainstream use cases across, you know, different industries and the like. Um, all right. Well, I really appreciate um, you guys taking the time today to join me on the Building Better SaaS podcast. I think some really insightful uh, commentary from both Farzad and Dara on, uh, on the topic of AI. Uh, and I uh, really appreciate them joining me. Um, thanks, everybody, for, for listening. And we'll see you on the next one. All right. Take care.
1: Thank you for having us. Thanks so much.
0: Thanks for listening to Building Better SaaS. You can find all our episodes on Apple Music and Spotify.